You are listening to the First Baptist Church Broken Arrow podcast. To learn more about the church, visit us at fbcva.org. Today's sermon comes from our pastor, Dr. Matt Brooks. Well, good morning, church. My name is Matt Brooks. I'm the senior pastor here at First Baptist Church of Broken Arrow. And it's so exciting to begin to study the scriptures with you. If you would, open your Bibles with me to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, as we excitingly start week 3 of this five-week series, we've already talked about greater prayer and greater devotion. Today, I want to talk to you about a greater purpose. What is the reason why you do what you do? Why does God leave me here on earth? Well, today we're going to answer this question. We're going to beg God to direct our hearts, to devote ourselves to what matters most. Today I want to talk to you about your purpose that God has for you. It was the renowned Bible teacher, Tony Evans, who says it well, when he says, when you realize God's purpose for your life isn't about you, he will use you in a mighty way. It is our purpose that leads to a passion. It is our passions that motivate us to live intentionally then for God's glory. His purpose must fulfill his mission for our lives because purpose inspires us to make the most of every day, to make the most of every opportunity, to make the most of every conversation and bring as many people to Jesus Christ as possible. That is why we are so passionate here about the word mission. We exist to reach BA and beyond by multiplying disciples to follow Jesus. We are with the best of everything we've got, with our people and our resources, with our minds and content. We're going to line all of these things and reach those that God has placed around us. To have enough faith not just to walk across the street, but to go across the globe to begin to partner with, globally and locally, those who desire to fulfill the great commission that Christ has given us. Each of us have a role in this. Not all of us can do everything, but all of us can do something as we fulfill the purpose that God has given us. May we then begin to remind ourselves once again that God is at work. And yet greater still, he's got a greater purpose in and through us. And the one thing I want you to get from this text before we walk out of here and go fulfill this purpose together is this. We desire to bring people to Jesus. God, give us a purpose and a focus to bring people to Jesus. Like never before as we begin to prepare our hearts for the next two years of what God's prayerfully gonna do for the next two decades here on the hill as we follow him. With that in mind, let's direct our hearts to Luke chapter five this morning. And you'll find that it's not the experts that does this. It's not the professionals or those who are trained. And by the way, we need a lot of those as well. But yet it's common men that we don't even know their names. Yet all they cared about was getting their friend to the name above all names. And their lives were never the same since. And with that in mind, Luke, arguably the greatest historian in all of antiquity, tells us of this event in Luke chapter 5. Let's begin in verse 17. And on one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They do a lot of that in the Gospels. You see, they'd come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, But yet the power of the Lord wasn't on them. 
power of the Lord was on Christ to be able to heal. And the Bible says in verse 18, and behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof. They let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst right before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. We come here in this beginning of this gospel of Luke to a critical time in the life of Jesus. Historically, the Bible reminds us at the end of Luke 3 that Christ has been baptized and thus anointed by the Holy Spirit. Truly, this is the coming Messiah, the anointed one of God. And as the heavens departed and an angel descended upon him and the Lord himself said, behold my son with whom I am pleased, Jesus as king began to do what he did best. He began to head throughout all of Asia Minor and the world has never seen such a man, even though he was from Nazareth. And historically, the Bible tells us that now at Luke chapter 5, Jesus returns to Capernaum, the epicenter of his Galilean ministry. Jesus had a profound ministry within the region in which he was born in, the men in which he chose. And God reached the, the many by training and equipping the few. And we find ourselves in Luke chapter 5 in a large house, which is presumably the house of Simon, Peter, and Andrew. For the Bible tells us in Mark chapter 1, verse 29, that Jesus had taken up a temporary residence there. And after healing a man with leprosy, an outcast, one who all society wanted nothing to do with, yet Jesus went out of his way to heal, the Bible says in Luke chapter 5, verse 15 and following, that he withdraws to a desolate place to pray. And then in verse 17, on one of those days, he was teaching, the Bible says. Luke doesn't give us the actual time or location chronologically of this happenstance. He uses here just simply an idiom to signify the truthfulness of this event. The emphasis is, is that there were many events like this. This was just another day in the life of Christ. But yet to those who watched, this was unlike any other day. And the Bible says that Jesus was doing what he did best. He was in a home full of people. Historians tell us right at 75 people in totality were there more than likely. And he was doing what he did best. He was teaching, the Bible says in verse 17. Jesus' ministry in Luke is comprised of two primary things. The ministry of the word and the ministry of deeds. Not just saying, but doing. He was teaching from the Old Testament. Perhaps the law of Moses, or perhaps the oracles of the prophets, or even some of the wisdom writings. Mark's gospel, who gives a similar account, tells us that Jesus was preaching from the word of God in Mark chapter 2, verse 2. The word of God in the gospels always is synonymous with the gospel, the good news of God through Christ. You see, Jesus taught the word of God about the word from God. Jesus' primary purpose on earth was not just to teach on great morals. It was not even solely to do unimaginable miracles. 
Help us to do the will of the Father for the glory of the Father by forgiving those who would repent of their sins and place their faith in him. Jesus' primary ministry was not just what he taught us, but what he did for us. And he was constantly in the gospel of Luke, gathering people in a home, usually around great food. He was using this as an opportunity to give them an even greater gospel, greater news. In fact, did you realize that there are 10 stories in the gospels of Luke alone about Jesus gathering with people in homes and with intentionality sharing the good news, the gospel. I can't help but as we begin to give our lives for the next two years to greater ministry and missions and future that we wouldn't have the same intentionality in regard to our purpose. That we would take the things that we're already doing and in light of a greater purpose to bring people to Jesus would add an intentionality to share the gospel. I mean, what would that look like with food? I mean, all of us are pretty good at eating. In fact, I read an article this week from the Harvard Business Journal that said 64% of all adults in the United States or 163 million people spend on average, are you ready for this, $71 a week on eating out. I find this kind of hard to fathom, but you know, the other day our kids were out of school on Friday and so I just was working here at the church on Friday morning and, and as a means of kind of a date with dad, just grab some payway. And when I got there, I was shocked to find that to feed seven people at Payway, it costs $65. And so I get home and told Bryn, what in the world did you order? $65, chicken lo mein, more like chicken high mein. You know what I mean? I thought that was a lot funnier earlier this week. (laughs) But we're really good at eating. What would happen if we added intentionality like never before to what we are already doing and use it as a means to point people to Jesus? Listening and eating and sharing amongst each other with gospel intentionality. In fact, in the subsequent months, we have in our heart to to begin to ask the Lord to give us 400 plus of our people that we would train and equip in an evangelism strategy called BLESS. It's just a, a relational way in which you can begin to build relationships with those around you by prayer. That we'll equip you to, to listen and to respond, to eat with someone and talk about Jesus, to, to serve others for Jesus, to share his story. And what would happen if we had such an intentionality that, that those we're gathering around with great food, that those we have greater fellowship, that we would step out of our comfort zones a little bit. And we would live by faith and we would invite our friends or neighbors or those who are on our baseball teams or soccer teams or or those who are hanging out with us in the band and doing life. Then we began to just, by God's grace, just to share what the Lord is doing in and through us. You know, but perhaps it's even among our Sunday school and small groups that we gather together and, you know, we just, we grab $5 gift cards from QT, Sonic, and Starbucks. And we gather together at a restaurant in one of our homes and we give everyone the moment they get there a note card. And we say, okay, you have five minutes to begin to frame these three questions. My life before I met Jesus. Secondly, how I met Jesus and decided to follow Jesus. Thirdly, now my life as I follow Jesus. And give them, you know, five to seven minutes to answer these questions on a note card. Then 
Give each person three minutes to share the answers to these questions. And then those who, you know, had the funniest, give them a gift card. I think those who had the most compelling or surprising, give them a gift card. And then challenge and pray for one another. Hey, why don't each of us at this table share with one person this week this same exact story and just see what the Lord does. Why do you do what you do? Why does God keep us here on earth? To fulfill a greater purpose, to bring people to Jesus. You see, every Christ follower has a story. And God uses story to captivate and influence those around us. The Lord is willing, will we be faithful? You see, the world needs Jesus. And God has placed the world all around us. Even Jesus said this. Look at verse 17. You see, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law who were sitting there. You see, these Pharisees were the leading religionists and separatists of Jesus' day. They appear for the first time in the Gospel of Luke right here. You see, the word Pharisee comes from actually a Hebrew word meaning separated one. These separatists were the legalist sect of all Jewish rabbinical leadership. They were not a large group in Jesus' day. In fact, historians tell us they consisted of right at 6,000 people. However, they were incredibly influential in society. They were, as a group, zealously committed to the strict observance of two entities. One, the Torah, the entire Old Testament, specifically the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They also zealously gave themselves to the oral law, which were traditions passed down by rabbis from generation to generation. The Pharisees taught falsely that a moral righteousness could be achieved through three primary things. One, a diligent study of the law. Number two, obsessive obedience to purity and tithing. Thirdly, the works of merit. And that is why they often adhered themselves to another group here, the scribes, or as mentioned in verse 17, the teachers of the law. These were religious leaders of the day or individuals who expanded upon the instruction of the Old Testament. They were often in coordination in complete opposition to Jesus Christ with the Pharisees. And I say all that to say this. Just because someone is near Jesus or around Jesus doesn't mean they are with Jesus. Throughout the Gospels, these men were tragically characterized by how skeptical and hostile towards Jesus they were. In fact, verse 17 tells us that they came from tiny villages all over the region to listen to Jesus, to respond in opposition. In fact, it's amazing to me that the moment Jesus says in verse 20, man, your sins are forgiven you, these Pharisees speak in verse 21. And they say, who is this who speaks blasphemy? For who can forgive sins but God alone? And can I tell you theologically, they're right to ask this question. But the Bible says in verses 22 and following that Jesus perceived their hearts, looked at them and said, which is easier? 
to say, man, your sins are forgiven, or rise and walk. But I tell you to proclaim the glory of the Lord so that you will know once and for all who I am. I'll say to this man, get up and walk. And the Bible says immediately he did so. And they were astonished. It doesn't say, and they were repentant. Jesus cares very little for our fascination. He cares way more about an adoration that leads to devotion and to commitment. A commitment to his purposes above all things. You see, these religious leaders hated the God that they claimed to worship and love. It is these religious leaders that had something far worse than a physical paralysis. The paralytic is not the most lame man in this narrative. These religious leaders had a spiritual paralysis. They had an inability to follow Jesus. Tragically, so many around us have the same. Just because someone is near Jesus or knows about Jesus or is around Jesus does not mean they're with Jesus. In fact, our own convention has studied in-depthly the demographic analysis of this great state we live in. And they tell us that right at 70% of all Oklahomans, us, yeah, you, me, 70% are completely unchurched. Which means then, in a city of Tulsa that has a populace of 1.1 million people, there could be 700,000 people around us that may be near Jesus or around Jesus, but they are not with Jesus. In fact, tragically, this doesn't get any better as the generations progress. In fact, did you realize that Generation Z, which is encompasses a majority of our fifth graders and junior high schoolers and high schoolers, only 4% of them have a worldview biblically. We are approximated 2.2 miles from the largest high school in the state of Oklahoma. Last year, Broken Arrow had the largest graduating class in our state's history. About 4% of them have a biblical worldview. 94% of them are completely unchurched. And God has placed us 2.2 miles away from people who need Jesus. We have four of the five largest high schools in the state of Oklahoma within a 15-mile radius of our campus. 18,000-plus families are with a 10-mile radius of our campus. Can't you see what God has done and what he is doing? Can't you see how this compels us to a greater purpose to bring people to Jesus? That there are those around us who have this spiritual paralysis, that they have a pride or a means of control. They have a sense of instant gratification. They have a fear of the unknown. They have a love of other things. And yet God, by grace, has overwhelmed our hearts, has saved us and rescued us from ourselves. It has enabled us to believe in the gospel. It has transformed our lives from the inside out. And the same love that God has demonstrated to us, we have the privilege to display to them as we bring people to Jesus. It is within this setting that our Lord in a home full of 75 people and the very men who thought they needed him least sat right next to him needed the most. I wonder if God in his grace has done the same with us. 
that there are people right next to us that need Jesus. May we be faithful to bring people to Jesus. And as the story unfolds in verse 18, the Bible says, and behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him right before Jesus. Now, the Gospel of Mark tells us that there were four men specifically that helped this paralytic. Please notice that in stark contrast, the Pharisees and the scribes, they do nothing. A crowd of 75 people, they do absolutely nothing. They wouldn't even budge. And yet here you have the faith of these men wandering through these 75 people doing whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus Christ. And it would be the faith of these men, all five of them, by the way, that Jesus would see in verse 20 would heal these men. Now, please notice, Jesus didn't authorize the miracle until they exercised their faith. It took all of them. I mean, one man couldn't carry this paralytic. I mean, more than likely, this, he was a man. So he probably weighed from anywhere from what, 110 to 140, 150 pounds? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but you know, every single Christmas, I'm the one that's got to lug our Christmas tree from the attic upstairs all the way to our living room downstairs. That thing weighs 50 or 60 pounds. And yet every single year I look at Brandon and say, can't we just leave this somewhere? Can we just give it away? Isn't there something else we can do? And yet here it is, these men probably carrying a man that weighed over 110, 120 pounds who's 75 people. It took each and every one of them. Every one of them had a role. Every one of them had a part. Every one of them had this zealous, persistent desire to get their friend to Jesus. It took all of them. In like manner, as we begin to pursue and ask God what he has for us in greater ministry and greater missions and a greater future, it takes all of us. We can't do everything, but we can all do something. And God can take that something and do something greater. Oh, I was reminded of this this week, of arguably the greatest basketball player of my generation. There really is no argument. Arguably the greatest basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan, had on March the 28th, 1990, his largest point total in one game. He scored 69 points. And infamously, there was a member of this team that you and I know about a little bit. It's a man by the name of Stacy King. Stacy King is from Lawton, Oklahoma. He was an All-American at OU. Player of the Year in 1989, first round pick, sixth overall. And on this night where Michael Jordan had 69 points, Stacy King missed every shot he took. He only had one rebound and one point total from a free throw, and he missed the next free throw. And he was in the midst of a tremendous struggle in his early career, and the press was all over him. We spent a first round pick on you. You're not pulling your weight. You're not giving your best. And so with all these cameras, 
with all these microphones in front of him, Stacy King said something I think we need to be reminded of. He said, you know, we won the game, didn't we? Yeah, you did. He said, you know, I think it's all of a matter of perspective then of what really matters most. I mean, yeah, I'm excited and grateful that Michael Jordan had 69 points. But I don't know about you, but 20 years from now, I'm going to look back on this game and I'm going to tell my friends and family that, hey, there was one night where Michael and I had 70 points. <laughs> it's all a matter of perspective. I think when we begin looking individually at what God is asking of each of us, things get humbling really quick. Lord, you're wanting us to devote ourselves to greater still and ministry and missions and a future? Lord, you're wanting us to allocate $19 million over the next two years? I mean, what about 40-year, one-year high inflation? I mean, what about COVID and all of these other things? What about the craziness and chaos of Washington? What about the desolence of our own economy? It's all a matter of perspective. It's all a matter of each of us doing what God has asked of us to the best of our abilities. We had a 10-year-old a couple weeks ago who came up to me. I said, Pastor Matt, I already have my commitment card done. And here it is. And he began to outline to me, box by box, his commitment. And he got to the end and said, I've already done the math. And he said, my commitment is 179,166 of our total goal. And he said, I did it in long division and my mom checked the math and it's right. And then you should have seen the excitement of this 10 year old because you see, this was his 179,166. And so I met with him and his family this week and confirmed the math. And confirmed his heart. And his parents said, you know, this is your commitment. We're not going to help you with this. This is what you feel the Lord's leading you to do. He said, yes. For the next two years, this is my part. You see, we can do, we can't do everything. But we can all do something. It is amazing what we can accomplish when all we care about is that Jesus gets the glory. And it's this overflow that leads to the actions of these men in verse 19. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the mist before Jesus. You see, there was no other way to Jesus. The crowds refused to be moved. And so these men were moved to do whatever it took. These men were moved convictionally to say, if a way to Jesus cannot be found, then one must be made. And so they began to demolish the roof. Now, something interesting. You see this word tiles here? This tells us that this was more than likely not a Jewish home. You see, Jewish homes were, were more of just kind of thatch and mud and you know, perhaps some grass or just what they could gather. No, th this home was a Greco-Roman style home more than likely. It was a home of opulence. 
In Jesus' day, it was incredibly sturdy. It would have been a flat structure of dried clay and thatch and mud and tile. Yet these men who had no tools, all they had was a burning desire, a persistence to get their friend to Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what real friends do. Real friends will do whatever it takes to get their friends to Jesus. They were depending upon Jesus to do what only he could do. Thus, whatever it took, they were willing to say no to anything that kept them from getting their friend to Jesus. Whatever the cost, whatever it took, And the Lord honored their request. He saw their faith. And can I tell you that when we're at our best, we have always been a group of people who have done the same. We have always been, as a group of people, we will do whatever it takes to get our friends to Jesus. And we have such a couple that has lived this out in and amongst us. And you need to hear their story. Please look to the screens. I'm David Ross. And I'm Brenda Ross. And we've been a part of First Baptist Church Broken Arrow for 33 years. We really have enjoyed serving at First Baptist Church and want to be open to serve in a lot of different areas. Our entire journey from the downtown location on Broadway to the hilltop location represents uh, an extremely meaningful uh, time of our life. We had to depend on God to do what only God could do, but also we had to be obedient to do what God wanted us uh, to do, and we just saw God be uh, so faithful, and there was a series of mountaintop experiences through that 10-year journey that uh, uh, God was so faithful and ultimately led to our relocation and, and being the church uh, that we are now, debt-free with uh, all those the buildings that, that we have. Well, I think when you go through that process, all of the things we had seen God do, you know, had prayed and asked for certain things, but God went far and ab- above anything we could imagine for that. Just walking up to that property, we knew God was with us in that endeavor. During our building campaign to build the, the current facility, a worship center that we're in, we were uh, had our one last final push, and Brenda and I prayed about it, and uh, we made a commitment, which for us uh, was a stretch, and uh, we were working towards fulfilling that commitment, and we had a home repair disaster that uh, had to be taken care of, and it had a huge impact on our ability to meet the commitment that we had made for that building campaign, and uh, shortly after the incident happened that required the construction or contractor expenses, um, I got a letter in the mail and it was hand addressed and I could tell it was my dad's writing and to my knowledge, dad had never written me a letter before. We had a great relationship, but he wasn't a letter writer and neither was I, but uh, I opened that letter up. It read, dear oldest son, this check is your part of the money that daddy and mama had saved over the years. They wanted to leave something for the children. I hope you can spend it wisely because it was because it was hard earned. 
and the amount that was that check was wasn't a, a huge amount by the world standards, but it was enough to allow us to pay the contractor and fulfill uh, the commitment that we had made. Uh, and it was just a great illustration of God being able to do immeasurably more than what we could ever ask or, or imagine. Sometimes it's the, the journey of getting there that's such a blessing. Sometimes, you know, it's not about the numbers, but sometimes it does start with just making a habit of it. And then we see the blessings that comes from that, not necessarily that he's blessing us, but we see what it does for others. One of the things that really resonates with me about Greater Still is that it is more than a building campaign to renovate our current facilities, about us being the church that, that God uh, wants us to be and claiming that promise that God wants to provide for us immeasurably more than what we could ever ask or imagine. We've seen it before and we've seen what God does when we give our best and we know He provided far and above what we expected and so that, that causes us excitement and we want to give in the best way we can. What about you? Are you willing to give your best in whatever it takes to bring people to Jesus? Can I tell you that's really the sole goal of Greater Still? Greater Still is an initiative and a commitment to give our best, whatever it is the Lord has for us, in ministry, in missions, and our future. Greater Still is a commitment to go before the Lord and say, Lord, when those see me and when you see me, I can genuinely say, I gave my best and trusted you with all the rest. And that's exactly what the Lord did in verse 20. And when he saw their faith, I mean, all we know about these men is their selfless persistence, their sacrificial faith. Their names aren't even mentioned. All they had was a desire to get their friend to the name above all names who could do for their friend what no one else could do. You see, it's amazing to me when you step back in this narrative that there are three different people, three different seasons of life for all of us. You see, for some of you, you don't know your purpose. I mean, for years and years and years, you've had this yearning and desire to do more, but you just don't know. You're, you're simply like the paralytic. You're being carried by those around you to Jesus. And just as this paralytic was healed and walked and his life was never the same, today's the same for you. That my purpose is to bring people to Jesus. And whatever that looks like in ministry and missions and future, I'm gonna do it to the best of my abilities. And may your life never be the same. For some of you, you do know your purpose. You just didn't know how. And so now we have this privilege in ministry and missions and future to begin to bring into focus over the next two years what it is God has asked you to do and how, equip you how to do it. You're like the four friends who's bringing this man. Whatever obstacle it took, Lord, I'm open, I'm willing, I'm persistent. Finally, there's those, you've just been doing this. And you're like Peter and Andrew. You see, I'm often amazed when he saw their faith. Can I tell you grammatically, this isn't in a passive. 
The impetus here is, is not just the four men. It's also the man, the paralytic. But it's also the willingness of Simon Peter and Andrew who allowed their home to be destroyed. I mean, you want to talk about a home repair? Their roof had to go. But you know what? As they were sitting in the house and they were hearing Jesus teaching and they were seeing the reactions of the people and all of a sudden this dust began to fall and pretty soon these four men lowered their friend. They knew what they were doing. They were doing whatever it took to bring their friend to Jesus. In fact, are you ready for this? And he saw their faith. Faith is mentioned here for the very first time in the Gospel of Luke. And it is not within the knowledge of the Pharisees or the scribes, but rather in relation to the power of Jesus and the faith of these men to do whatever it took to get this man to Jesus. Faith in Luke is always tied directly to one's active trust in the power and authority of Jesus Christ. And their lives are never the same. And can I tell you, in getting their friend to Jesus, that Jesus did more than what they could ever ask or imagined. I mean, they wanted this man to be physically healed, but look back at verse 20. And Jesus said, men, your sins are forgiven you. That Jesus as God forgives this man's greatest ailment, his greatest paralysis. Powerfully here, your sins are forgiven for you. Can't you see the greater work that God is doing? That this is so much more about making a man walk, but rather giving a man life who was dead spiritually. The man's spiritual need preceded and exceeded his physical need. And Jesus did more than what they could have ever expected. And it's the same call and faith that God asks of us in our purpose. Jesus expects us to make a way so people can find him. That our greatest need is not a physical need, but rather a spiritual need that Christ and Christ alone can heal. This is why we are here. This is why we do what we do to bring people to Jesus. God, give us a greater faith. Give us greater prayer. Give us a greater devotion. Oh God, give us your purpose as we ask you to do abundantly more than what we can ask or think for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe to hear other messages. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us online at fbcba.org. Thank you for listening to our podcast and always remember you are loved.